check out my new book, Coping Courageously, a heart-centered guide for navigating a loved one's illness without losing yourself. It's appropriate for you as a clinician, for your patients, and for anyone you know who has a seriously ill loved one or an aging parent. Check it out and tell a friend. Welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast, where we talk about integrative symptom management and physician well-being, because every physician deserves to have satisfying work, and every patient deserves an effective and joyful physician. Let's get started. Welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast. I'm Dr. Delia Caramonti, and today we are going to talk about how do you manage the evidence-informed approach to integrative palliative care? What do we do with evidence? So there sometimes is this feeling of, oh, integrative medicine doesn't have a lot of evidence. And once upon a time, that probably was true, but it's really not true anymore. So we can't say that. We can't just say, oh, it doesn't have evidence, so we're not going to use it. But we also can't say, oh, everything that's natural or uh, complementary medicine, integrative approaches are all good in all circumstances, because that's also not true. So just like we wouldn't say, are medicines good? We don't want to say, is acupuncture good? Because of course, the answer is it depends. So we want at this point in the field to look at what is the appropriate and logical and thoughtful way to approach evidence in the integrative palliative medicine space. The first thing we have to figure out is how do we know? If we're talking about a particular modality, acupuncture, massage, guided imagery, meditation, how do we know where to find good evidence? How do we know what's evidence supported? How do we behave with the patient? What do we suggest? So that's what we're going to talk about today. So the first thing that I think we have to talk about is, let's say we want to look up a particular topic. Where do we look it up? How do we know if something is evidence supported? In the complementary medicine field, there are many, many small, poorly designed, uncontrolled studies. Some are done in the United States, some are done in other countries, many in the traditional Chinese medicine realm are done in China. So how do we make sense of it all? How do we know what's good and what's not good? One of the, the most simple and basic things that we can do is to only look for evidence in journals that are indexed in PubMed. Now you know probably that there are all of these predatory journals, meaning that if you just pretty much, if you pay money, you can get your paper into these journals and they often are not peer reviewed or at least not rigorously peer reviewed. So at a most basic level, only use evidence that is indexed in PubMed when you're trying to make your decisions. But even better than looking at one small study is to look at systematic reviews or meta-analyses. Because at least if we're looking at a bunch of small studies together with a careful research-based eye, we can often get information that's more reliable than if we just say, you know, what did that small uncontrolled study of 30 people show? That doesn't really help us that much. But a meta-analysis or systematic review can help not only to look at the suggestion of benefit, but perhaps even more importantly, as we're looking at larger numbers, it can look at risk, which is very important. We also can look at well-referenced textbooks. So my personal favorite, I, I have no affiliation at all with this textbook, but my personal favorite is called Integrative Medicine. The author is Rakel, R-A-K-E-L. It's very well-referenced. And it's very clear about the level of evidence that exists for each recommendation that is made. So that's a place, sort of a basic place to start. If you don't have that textbook and you're interested in this field, you might want to get that textbook. 
We can look at Cochrane reviews, which are high-level evidence reviews. Now, many of the Cochrane reviews will have the ultimate recommendation as it's not clear if there's benefit. Not always, but sometimes. But often that's because the study quality was low or there was a high risk of bias. But we can still get information by reading a Cochrane review, even if the ultimate recommendation at the end is we can't say if it helps or not. If there are 30 small studies and they all showed benefit and none showed risk, we can at least take in that information to help inform our choices. So the first thing to think about is where can you find this evidence-informed guidance, journals in PubMed, well-referenced textbooks, Cochrane reviews, and then systematic reviews and meta-analyses can start to give us a sense of what appears to be evidence-supported and what is either not evidence-supported or unsafe. The second thing to think about is to understand the differences in research in the complementary medicine, integrated medicine field versus in the straight-up pharmaceutical fields. And this is because What we all know is the standard, the highest standard we can get is a double-blind placebo-controlled trial, right? Before they put a drug to market, they're definitely going to give a large number of people the drug and a large number of people a similar-looking pill, and they see what happens in terms of benefit and risk. But how do you do that with a Tai Chi class, for example? So if you're trying to see, does Tai Chi reduce pain and fibromyalgia, how do you double blind people to whether or not they're doing Tai Chi. They know if they're doing Tai Chi. How do you double blind if someone's getting a massage? They know if they're getting a massage. So we can't use that same schema for some of the modalities that we talk about in the complementary or integrated medicine world. So what can we do instead? One of the things that is commonly used, and you always want to look for this in an article, is an attention control They should use an attention control. And so what that means is, let's say you're trying to find out, does Tai Chi reduce pain in fibromyalgia? Well, maybe, let's say it does. Yes, great. We sent 60 people through Tai Chi class and their fibromyalgia pain reduced. Great. But why? So maybe it was the actual Tai Chi, or maybe it was because they got out of the house every week, or maybe it was because the teacher was nice, or maybe it was because they had community with the other people in the class. Maybe it was one of those other things that worked. Maybe the Tai Chi was irrelevant. So an attention control tries to control for those other things. So in a good study with an attention control, it might look like this. They split the people in two. Half the people go to Tai Chi class once a week for eight weeks. The other half, the control group, doesn't do nothing. The control group goes to some other class. So maybe they do stretching class or maybe they do a health awareness class, but they do something where they leave the house, there's a nice teacher and there are other people in the class. The idea being that those two circumstances are now the same in both groups. And so if there's a difference, it probably is related to the actual intervention the Tai Chi in this example, rather than the nice group, the friends, the getting out of the house, the nice teacher. So you always want to look for an attention control in a study that is looking at a modality where you really can't do a double-blind placebo-controlled trial. Acupuncture is a bit of a special case because there have been attempts to blind people to whether or not they're getting acupuncture. So there are collapsible needles, for example, where the patient can see a needle go in, and either it's going in the skin, which is why you can't see it anymore, or it's collapsing, which is why you can't see it anymore. 
there's all kinds of problems. And in a previous episode, we talked about this a little bit. The problem with that is in order to trick the patient, you do have to have some sort of pressure, even in the collapsing needle, they have to feel some kind of pressure. Otherwise, they'll know for certain that they're not getting acupuncture. And so that's acupressure. And it's possible that that is biologically active. So this attempt to blind people in acupuncture was is a good attempt. And it's an interesting idea. But there are concerns that maybe it's not really benign, that the blinded control is actually biologically active in some way. So just be aware that there are these differences in the complementary medicine field. And it doesn't mean that the research then is not valid or useful. We just have to be aware that when you're studying things that are more physical, it's not the same as studying a pill. So the big exception to that is nutritional supplements. Nutritional supplements are much more like medications. They are clearly biologically active. They often do come in a form that you could fake out the patient, so a pill or a powder. And you could do double-blind placebo-controlled trials with supplements, and you should. So that is the one exception I really want you to think about supplement research differently than research into things like deep breathing or meditation or hand massage, for example. So before somebody takes a supplement, we absolutely want to make sure that there have been double-blind placebo-controlled trials of that supplement to show efficacy and perhaps even more importantly, safety. So that's the third thing we want to do. The first is that we want to find evidence-informed guidance. The second is that we want to understand the differences in research in this field compared to conventional medical fields. The third, and perhaps most important, is we want to put our focus on safety. We want to put our focus on safety. So There's a big difference in safety concerns between someone who says, when I do deep breathing at night, it helps me sleep better versus someone who wants to take three dietary supplements along with their warfarin. As I mentioned before, supplements, we have to hold them to a much higher standard of evidence before we would recommend them to patients because of this safety issue. But for other things like deep breathing, meditation, guided imagery, Tai Chi, Qigong, etc. Yes, absolutely, we want to know what the evidence base shows so we know what to recommend to whom, but we also can feel some comfort that they are likely to be safer. Now, there are exceptions, and those exceptions are really important to learn. So we don't want to say, oh, all complementary medicine things are safe, because that also is not true. We don't even want to say, oh, except for supplements, all complementary medicine things are safe, because that's not true. When we're learning these things, we want to look at, for every individual modality, what are the safety issues that I need to be concerned about? So just a couple small examples, acupuncture is extremely safe overall. However, if you do acupuncture in the chest with a thin person, now obviously, hopefully your acupuncturist isn't doing this and they are aware of this issue, but there is a potential if you're doing acupuncture in the chest in a thin patient, that you could drop a lung. It's very unusual. It's very unusual, but it could happen. For most people, they would immediately get care. They would get a chest tube. It would be fine. What about someone who has one lung? Or what about someone who has terrible lung function, end-stage COPD, and dropping a lung could be the end of them? So in that person, we want to make sure there's no acupuncture needles going in in their chest right? So this is an example of 
By far, by far, by far, acupuncture is extraordinarily safe. But here's one specific example that we want to be aware of. And here's another one, guided imagery. So guided imagery, where we're using the imagination, either via recording or a therapist speaking to us, to imagine relaxation scenes or specific scenes like the immune system eating up cancer cells or cleaning out cancer cells. There are many ways to use guided imagery. It is most of the time extraordinarily safe, extraordinarily safe, very helpful for all kinds of things, including pain, anxiety, sleep, etc. So most of the time, it's perfectly fine. One place, though, that you want to be cautious is with people who are suffering from an active thought disorder, because we're asking them to imagine things that aren't exactly real. So if someone is already having trouble grounding in what's real, such as someone with an uncontrolled schizophrenic episode, the untrained person, meaning not a psychiatrist, probably shouldn't be using guided imagery with that person. And the other the other obvious one is driving. But you'd be surprised, you know, people have it on tape, don't use them when you're driving. So, so you want to think about specific examples like that. You want to learn about specific examples in each modality that you might recommend, where in this case, it might be unsafe because the focus on safety is key. And then the fourth thing that we want to do when we're thinking about the evidence-informed approach to integrative palliative care is to harness the placebo response. So normally in research, the placebo response is like the, the devil, right? We're afraid of it. Oh no, the placebo response. We have to make sure that we're not getting fooled by the placebo response because across the board, 30% of the time, people get better from whatever they have with no intervention based on the placebo response. So rather than seeing that as a terrible thing that we have to avoid, I recommend that you turn that completely around and say, how can I harness the placebo response? <laughs> because if someone's going to get better 30% of the time without me doing anything that has any risk, I want that 30%. I want to use that 30%. So how can you do that? You can say things like, you know, I've seen this treatment plan that we just made for you to manage your pain or your anxiety, your nausea, or whatever. I've seen this work for other people just like you. So I believe it can work for you too. I've seen it work for other people. I truly believe it can work for you too. That is putting the suggestion to the patient that, hey, this could really work. You're not promising. You're obviously not going to promise them. I know this will work for you because it might not. 30% is not 100%, but we would like to give them the suggestion. You know, I have seen this work for other people and I really do think it could work for you too. That's a way that we can harness that 30% placebo response and see if we can boost our treatment success by using it rather than avoiding it. So I think this conversation is really important because when people go to either side, meaning all complementary medicine stuff is unproven and junk. That's not true. Or all natural complementary medicine things are wonderful and healthy and helpful. That's also not true. So when people go only to the extremes, patients are not helped in the best way that they can. And physicians are, and clinicians are not helped in the best way that they can because they don't know how to wield these tools with intention. So I just want to really encourage you to put into your work a plan for figuring out what does the evidence support, which things are potentially unsafe and need a much higher level of evidence for me to feel comfortable with them, 
And then in each individual modality, what are the one or two or three safety issues that I should be concerned about? So don't throw the whole thing out, but what can I recommend safely? And what specific circumstances should I have some caution? So learning those things is really important for getting the most that you can out of these complementary modalities and getting the most power to get your patients feeling better because when they feel better, not only do they feel better, their families feel better, but also you feel better because as clinicians, we want people to feel better. It's part of how we get the the juice from our work. It's part of what makes us feel like the hard stuff is worth it when we can help people get better. So I really want you to use these tools because they work, but I also want you to use them in an evidence-informed way, and I want you to know about the safety issues. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for being here, you guys, and I will see you next Thursday. If you want to learn more, reach out to me. And if you have specific topics that you'd like to hear about, go to my website and email me because I, I want to serve you in the best possible way I can. Take care. This podcast is brought to you by the Integrative Palliative Institute. We help clinicians to help their seriously ill patients to thrive while creating a joyful life for themselves. Join our Facebook group, which is the Integrative Palliative Medicine Interest Group. And if you want to learn more about adding integrative symptom management to your practice, go to integrativepalliative.com where you'll find some great resources.